I won't lie to you, London. I'm a big vibes guy. I could be slurping the freshest al dente tagliatelle or sipping the most exquisite low-intervention Riesling in one of our city's fine establishments. But if the vibes are even slightly off, no thank you. I'm out of there like gluten in a painfully middle-class bakery. When I need to make a quick escape, I use Freenow, the mobility super app. With Freenow, you can choose between black cabs, private rides, e-scooters, and e-bikes. Four ways to get around, one easy-to-use app. Feel free now. I'm walking down the street, and a woman walks up to me, and she goes, I just want to tell you, I think you're a complete and utter twat, and storms away. And I know who she thought I was. She thinks I'm Michael Gove. (laughs) Everybody thinks I'm Michael Gove. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever. I'm Joe Magdich, the big dog of Time Out London, and you're listening to Love Thy Neighbourhood, the podcast in which someone with something to say shows me around London, a part of London that means a lot to them. One area, four places they would give their own illicit five-star review to. Five stars, of course, that's what we do. When we like something, we stride purposefully over to the table, slam five stars down, changing the course of history forever and today it is the business end of the monopoly board we're in mayfair yes mayfair um now usually at this point in the episode uh you say something like mayfair is a very posh place but it wasn't always like this but actually in the case of mayfair it was quite literally always like this it was created specifically to be what it is today but before it resembled current mayfair it was absolutely nothing uh, a load of unnamed, unwanted swampland around uh, the River Tyburn. And then at some point, a load of wealthy landowners decided to develop it. And they created Grosvenor Square and Hanover Square, tempting out all the aristos who lived in uh, Soho and places like that. It presumably offered them the best of everything. It was close to two big parks. They were close to the best shops. They were close to Parliament. Uh, the opera was here as well. And today, it's not too dissimilar. You still got Savile Row. You still have the auction houses. You still have the galleries on Cork Street. There's fancy restaurants, Jim Carner, Sexy Fish, places like that. If you were a, a, a high-flying CEO, this would no doubt be where you came uh, to let your hair down. And the man who will be letting his hair down today in my company is the incredible writer, director, producer, author, Paul Feig. Yes, Paul Feig, uh, a pretty amazing character. He's responsible for so many things. Initially made his name creating uh, Freaks and Geeks, the very influential TV series, and then went on to direct episodes of Mad Men, Arrested Development, The American Office, loads more things like that. 30 Rock, I think, as well. Went on to direct the incredibly successful and influential Bridesmaids, uh, the Ghostbusters reboot, that was him, uh, Last Christmas which I do actually like. I do want to bring that up. I think it's a good film. Hopefully I get a chance to share that with him. In any case, he's going to be showing me around this part of town. I feel like he's a natural fit for Mayfair. If you ever see him, very dapper chap, uh, never without a nice pressed shirt and a tie. He likes a cocktail. He spent a lot of lockdown making cocktails over Instagram. Uh, And he's his own gin distillery, uh, arting stall, that makes all sorts of drinks. So I'm just now currently wandering around these back streets that are lined with Rolls Royces. Everyone looks very well to do on our way to meet Paul in our first location. And I think we've just arrived. Let's go and say hi. Mr. Paul Feig. Hello. Where are we? Why have you brought me here? <laughs> We're at Waterstones on, on Piccadilly, which, uh, look, I know I'm, I should be supporting smaller bookstores, independent bookstores, and I'm all for that. But for me, I like this place because it's got everything all in one place. It's, I mean, I don't even know how many stories it is. There's four or five floors here and all kinds of books. If you were to be here on your own steam, yes. what section would you gravitate towards, do you think? I really enjoy scary books, so they have a horror section here, which in most bookstores you can't find. It's either sci-fi or, or fantasy or whatever, but I like they have a dedicated horror section. I'm just not sure where it is right now. Who are your, your horror guys? 
these normally? Um, I, I just... I'm supposed to say Stephen King, I know. But, I was waiting but, for that, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I look, I, The Shining is one of the best books in that genre I've ever read. But some of the other books I'm not as big a fan of. I just like, I look for titles and subjects that I think are interesting and then just find, you know, strange, like Peter Ackroyd wrote a version of Frankenstein that was really interesting. And, and Peter Ackroyd is someone who is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I don't know what he does apart from write. The amount he puts out is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> just just kicking them out. Yeah. There is something very uh, addictive about being scared while reading something. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how many horror books I can remember like genuinely loving. Obviously, The Shining, like you said, Carrie. Right. Yeah. A lot of it, Stephen King. It. I liked It yeah. a lot. Really good. Very, very long. Uh, but no other genre gives quite the same kick, you know? No, that's what I love about it. Like, I love Ira Levin stuff, you know? I mean, the, the, the book of Rosemary's Baby is way scarier than the movie. Right. Uh, it was really great. But then he sadly did a, a sequel to it, one of the last books he wrote, which was uh, Rosemary's Son, which is one of the worst books I've ever read. Yeah, so. Baby is scarier than Son. They stop getting scary when they develop a personality. Yeah, it's got a crazy story. I mean, it's one of these stories you're like, come on, people don't act like that. But isn't it weird how, like, there is a limit to how far you can stretch credulity and things like that, yeah. where the, the, the reader will come along on the journey so far and then at some point just stop and be like, no, this is now beyond the realm of imagination. Well, that's it, because literally I was halfway through it and I was like, why has nobody made this a movie? I gotta make this a movie. And then you get to the end, you're like, okay, this, yeah. this doesn't work at all. A, is that a sort of constant thing as a filmmaker that you look at stories and the way oh, they yeah. develop and stuff and you're just, you sort of willing them to sort of succeed and to work. And then when they don't work, you know exactly why they don't work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's telling a complete story in two hours, you know, esque is, is one of the hardest things in the world I mean for for playwrights for for movie makers television is difficult too but in a different way because television you have such a long time you can tell a story and develop stories and develop the characters but it's why I love doing movies because the challenge of introducing people to a new group of characters making them care about those characters and having a satisfying ending all within two hours and especially in a movie you really got to you know hook them into the characters immediately and that's yeah. hard it's one of the reasons that I always felt so much respect for the film Aliens. I know it's yeah. an obvious one, but it's, great. It, it's the fact that within 10 minutes, whatever it is, they introduce you to all these colonial marines, one after the other, right. and, you're, and you're within one line of dialogue each, you're in no doubt who every single one of them is, yeah. and you already sort of sympathize with them, and it just feels effortless. Yeah. It's quite amazing. No, but it's the hardest thing in the world. I mean, we spend so much time on the, the opening of a movie and then on the end of a movie. Because really, if you, if you if you start great and you end great, everything in the middle can be. Not, yeah, you not can take your eye off the ball at that point. <laughs> yeah. the, the foot comes off the gas, and then you just start exactly. to pay attention. Then. But hopefully, it's all great. That's our always our goal. We'd look around and see if there's anything that catches our eye, book wise. Yeah. We're, we're on the third floor. Oh, we're, oh well, look, there's the film writing section right. Well, over let's kind of have a look at film writing. See if yeah, I can yeah, learn something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go. It's as easy as just picking up a book and figuring it out. If you had to point at one of these and, and say, oh, I've heard of this, this is actually full of fairly useful stuff. It would be, it's by this author named Sid Field, but it's not this book. This is four screenplays where he analyzes books, but he did what is known in, kind of in Hollywood or was known as the, the definitive kind of screenwriting book. Um, Sid Field. Yeah, and it's, it's just about the three-act structure of of screenplays, I mean, yeah, you're, you're picking up Save the Cat there, which that's the one everybody knows. I'm not as big a fan of that, but I, I think it's got good advice in it. But for me, I just, there's nothing better than knowing the exact structure of a screenplay. So then you know it, and then if you want to break out of that structure, you can, but if you don't know it. Yeah, you need to know the rules you're operating in, I suppose. Yes, yeah, so you like, need to know the rules before you break the rules. Yeah, right? yeah, it's quite, it's, it's always nice to have parameters. Exactly. And then you can sort of uh, play around with them, just like jazz. There you go, mm. there you go. See, well well said, my friend, well said. Are you, are you okay with Only Fools and Horses? Oh yeah, I love that show. Yeah, it's quite peculiar to me because you've obviously you know, admitted yourself as a sort of big Anglophile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love British comedy. But you as a person, there's something incredibly sort of all-American about you as well. So the idea of you <laughs> watching and enjoying Only Fools and Horses, yeah. it's a bit of a sort of juxtaposition. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's, I'm just open to anything that's funny. And I love characters that are sort of um, every man, every woman, you know, who are just kind of underachievers or or considered to be underachievers, underdogs, if you will. Uh, and so anything with those kind of characters, I mean, I'm less interested in things about, like, he's the coolest lawyer in town, and all the <laughs> ladies love him. It's like, well, I can't relate to that guy. Where did you go for um, drinks when you were living here? Not to go out to drink them, but to buy your oh, old to tips. buy drink. Oh, 
Well, I mean, I love um, uh, Jerry's in, in Soho because they've got everything. Yes. Uh, they're great. And then um, in Mayfair, it, it, it's hedonism uh, or hedonism, as you call it here. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of mispronunciations here. That's nice. It's charming. It is charming. It's the hardest thing about living in London, I have to say. People just constantly correcting you about yes. English pronunciation. Yeah, but well, you can say, I, I am clearly not English. This is how I say That's this exactly word. it. Well, <laughs> unless, okay, this happens to me all the time, but it, uh, I'll give you this one particular story. I'm walking down the street wearing a suit and tie, which I normally am, am in with my glasses and everything with my assistant at the time. And we were going to a, a thing to check the special effects in our movie. And a woman walks up to me very nervously. She goes like, I just want to tell you, I think you're a complete and utter twat mm. and storms away. And I was like, who do you think I am? And I know who she thought I was. She thinks I'm Michael Gove. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm Michael Gove because of my glasses and the way I look. I don't know. So that's my um, I've seen cross Michael to bear. Gove up close. Uh, he unfortunately supports the same football team that I support. Oh, I'm so I've sorry. seen him in and around that area. And I have to say, you you look far better than he does. Bless you. Thank it's, you. It's definitely true. She's, in, that was, she's got bad eyesight. She's unkind. I don't know what it is. There you go. But it happens, it happens about once a week. Yeah, which is far more often than you'd like. Exactly. My wife's like, just get different glasses. Glasses. I'm like, but I like my glasses. So, mm. so there you go. I'm, I'm dug in. Yeah. I have to say, I, I um, did genuinely really enjoy Last Christmas. Well, thank you. Watched it after uh, quite a serious breakup, and I was by myself on Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh, no. Watching it, wrapping presents uh, for my family. Oh, no. This is sad. But it really hit the spot. Oh, good. You know what I mean? It was like designed, I think, for occasions like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the, the Last Christmas had, has had quite a quite a, uh, a movement uh, over its life because uh, much reviled when it, by the critics when it came out. The Guardian hated it so much that they wrote not only a bad review, but then three subsequent articles about how much they hated the movie. It was obviously say, sort of catnip in some sense. Something. And I can say this only because The Guardian's been a huge supporter of mine, all my movies. So it was just kind of like, all right, guys, I get it. You don't like the movie. But then cut to a year and a half later, and an article comes out about like the Christmas movies to watch, and it's, you know, it has these lists, and it says, right, we're at the top, and it says, if you're going to start with anything, start with the best. Nah. <laughs> Like, okay, guys, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I can't keep up. <laughs> That's peculiar. I mean, what was more vociferous? The people who were angry about the locations in that not being geographically accurate, which obviously <laughs> when you watch it, I think is intentional. It's meant to be it's yeah. a wink and a nod. Yeah. Or was it the sort of strange anti-Ghostbuster incel men? What was the sort of hardened backlash? Well, there was a mistake that was made by the studio. I don't want any spoilers here. I'm going to spoil the movie, so I won't say. But basically, when there is a, there is a big twist at the end. And when the studio put out the, the trailer, they basically gave away the twist. Cool. So, yeah. So it became this sport of being like, we know how it ends. You must have been like really I was angry. furious because even if you can figure out the end of a you know a, a Agatha Christie book or, or movie you don't go like and you know it clearly it was so and so so but like the New York Times even they wrote this write up of the thing they said and the internet says this is the twist and so and it's like you guys give me a break <laughs> like help me out here yeah you would just feel like you know all this work you put into something was essentially just like ruined by someone in an editing suite who just didn't think yeah. hard enough and so then that turned everybody kind of against it because then they're just like oh clearly it's just some sort of gimmick and it's like oh you guys like we work you know that, that's the thing I mean it, it's a, you know I'm so lucky I get to do what I do so I'm not complaining but there's such sport of taking down especially movies people love mm. it and, and I get it and, you know I, I do it but among friends sometimes too but you don't realize how hard we work on those things but you know as, as, as someone who um, works in the evil mainstream media yes. I, can, I can now <laughs> I'll, you know, part the kimono ever so slightly for you and explain that there's no sense for those sort of outlets ridiculing or spending page after page on a film no one cares about. Right. When they come into contact with something quite rare like that, they'll go nuts for it. It's like it doesn't matter yeah. the positive or negative star rating. They've identified the fact that when you write about Last Christmas, right. a lot of people read it. Yeah. So it just becomes almost just sort of self-perpetuating thing where they can't stop writing about it. Yeah, oh no, totally, totally. You know, it becomes clickbait and all that other kind of thing. But it's, look, look again, we're so lucky to get to do what we do that if that's the price you pay of getting getting shit on occasionally, then right. so and, be it. And then also, once all that hype dies down, I suppose stuff like that gets to live a sort of second and a third life. Yeah, oh, well, that's that. I mean, that's what I love about what I call recorded medium. Um, you know, because like you do a great play and you know, whoever was there can talk about it the rest of their life, but that's kind of it. But, you know, movies and TV and, and books 
networks and all that, they exist forever. And so, you know, now, now there's so much positive feedback about Last Christmas, and people are surprised by the ending because they didn't get hit by that first wave of, right. of spoilers and they were outrage and all that. Yeah, so, you know, everything sorts itself out. Even, you know, Ghostbusters has my Ghostbusters that was much reviled by uh, critics liked it a lot. But, um, you know, we had the the dudes who were angry about it. But now, you know, I, people come up to me all the time and it's their kid's favorite movie and their exactly, son's favorite yeah. stuff. So, you know, it, again, it all heals itself. Was that your first real encounter with the quote-unquote dudes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a shocker just because my uh, uh, relationship with the internet up till then had been nothing but lovely. Yeah, and, and, and suddenly the internet reveals another side of itself. Yeah, and you're like, oh, these, these are trolls. This is, what it, this is what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, you did very well to just remain on the internet, I suppose, after that. Like, yeah. You, I mean, there must have been moments where you were just like, fuck this. Totally, yeah. yeah. Well, but I also, you know, made the mistake, because this is back before they had the mute button on Twitter, now X. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I just said, like, I'm not going to block people because then they know and either they won but also I'm kind of like well you gotta be democratic about this like everybody should have a voice and I should hear the complaints but after a while you're just like okay enough I can't you know it just it's just an, it becomes an assault after yes a while. I mean everyone should have a voice but not everyone should have the right to screech that voice as loud as they can directly into the face of anyone they choose at any given moment. Well, that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's funny, like, you know, for eternity, people had, you know, assistants and stuff who would filter all this stuff out. But now, you know, you're at dinner and you pick up your phone, you know, like some of, some of the haters got my email. And so I remember I was at brunch with my wife one day and all of a sudden I pick up this thing, it's like a death threat in my, in my inbox. And you're like, holy shit. Because so. of Ghostbusters. Oh yes, oh yeah. Oh, Do you I, remember what their, what their point was? Oh, just how dare you. How, how dare you make a children's film yeah, you know, and and I cast know. it in this Don't way. Don't call it a children's film; they'll right. kill you for that. So it's it's things like that that I'm just not I'm not even aware of all the unwritten rules about talking about all this cultural stuff that means so much to all these people. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people are more passionate about their pop culture stuff than they are about politics by anything else. Why did that happen? Do you think? I think. I mean, I. I'm not going to say people don't have bad problems. Everybody's got problems they're dealing with. But I think it's it's easier to channel your passion into that because it's such a public forum and everybody's got an opinion and it's there. It's not anything you have to study. You know, it's not like having strong opinions about somebody writes a controversial book versus oh, I listen to this thing or I watch this thing or oh, and I don't like the or you know. Yeah, and it's, I would imagine hard as someone who is there in a creative capacity to resist the urge to say. Go make your own fucking film. Oh, don't no, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but you can't say that because then you're an asshole. And, you know, and also it is the thing of like, look, it is, it's hard. That's, I think, the only time I get you know, kind of crazy is, is like, yeah, you kind of go well, like, you know how hard this is? And all those, this assumption that we're all doing it very cynically. You know, like, we're just going to get money or stuff. It's like, no, we really love what we do. Sure, we get paid for it, but we would do it if we didn't get paid. The energy required, it's not possible to go through every day unless you love it. No, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I say, you know, any project I take on, I say it's like it's a, it's a marriage, basically. And, and it's never out of your head. You're never not thinking about it. You're never not freaked out about it. You're never not sweating about it. And then the relief afterwards, I assume, is uh, massive. No, there is never any relief. Really? Because if it doesn't do well, then you're like, oh my God, you know, then that's terrible. And if it does this well. sounds horrible, Paul. It is terrible. <laughs> I love it. No, but if it does well, then you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do next? I got to top it. So. But then that's doubly anxiety inducing. Oh, yeah. Everyone will assume the next thing you do, you're doing it for a particular reason, maybe. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. And, you know, then once you have a couple of hits, then the knives come out. And, right. You know, yeah. so. But, you know, again, boo hoo. We're so lucky to do what we do. So that's the price of admission. Yeah. Well, I feel like we spent enough time wandering around the wonderful Waterstones in Piccadilly. Should we move on to our next location? Let's do it. Let's do it. It's nice that this place still is exactly what it has literally always been. It was set up yeah. to have suits and art 
and auctions uh, yeah. for incredibly sort of rich people to be around, mm -hmm. and it just hasn't changed even remotely. No, it's pretty great. I, I I just have a real love of it. I mean, you see, certain stores kind of come and go, but you got all the the staples here. You got the GOF Trumper, where you can get great shaving supplies and all that. So you got packs in the Whitfield there with the the cheese cheese and jams. Yeah, I, I think they've got one in Maryland as well. It's yeah, a lovely little place. Yeah, it's really really good. Well, we've arrived at our second location. Do you want to say where we are? Yes, we are at Turnbull and Ass. Uh, which is a, a great, famous for their shirts and bespoke shirts, but I love them mostly for their ties and pocket silks. And a lovely wrought iron sign. Yes, this is this is old, old school British men's styling. Yeah, I mean, I said wrought iron. I'm assuming that's been wrought. I don't know what, what wrought consists of, but it looks like a wrought iron sign to me. I, I, I would say so. Let's just hope it's not overwrought. There you go. Huh? Uh, please, you like uh, that? Like that turn of phrase? I, I, you know, as, as, a, as a person that works with words, <laughs> I was mildly amused by it. <laughs> <laughs> Only mild. <laughs> Bless you. Here we are inside. Wow. I hope we don't get thrown out for uh, I, in here. I feel like these nice gentlemen have been hey. warned that we were coming. Oh, you were warned? Oh, good. Hello. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you been? You too. Yeah, really well. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, I just was saying, this is my favorite place to get ties and pocket silks and... It's incredibly occasional colorful shirt. in yeah. here. As yeah. now, I think this is my first time in this shop. Oh, well, welcome. Thank you very much. There we go, You're see? welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think uh, the outside doesn't really give a, an indication of quite how much color there is on the inside. It's yeah. very, very nice. It's nice. It's a colorful... That's what I like about it. I mean, well, that's what I like about British style, though. It's like there's color in it. Uh, there are at least color that pops out of dark. Yes. You know, so yeah, it's like if it, like a dark or a, just a sort of a you know normal suit, you want to pop something on it. And also socks are a big big deal. And as you can see, the whole would this be your go-to place for socks? I was going to explicitly ask about socks. Actually, um, I, I hate to say no. <laughs> just sorry, guys. I, I know. It's like, <laughs> I'm such a cheapskate when it comes to socks. I will go to um, the cheapest store and buy like really? a pack. Really? That doesn't seem right. Well, because I'm wearing boots, because nobody can see my socks. Yeah. How how much would a pair of socks be? Uh, so you're starting at twenty-five. Because then they got pure wool, they got pure cashmere. I'd like a, a pair of the cheapest socks for my friend Paul, please. <laughs> uh, I, I, as a gift, I'd like to buy you a pair of wow, socks. Wow, oh my gosh. Okay, so this is short cotton, and that they will start at £27. Perfect. Please, may I have the short cotton uh, socks? Ah. Thank you. But some nice color, though. Yeah, there is uh, there's a lot to choose from. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I can see you in the sort of aqua blue one. Or... I like the blue, actually. Yeah. I was that was my I was drawn to that. Oh, oh, purple. Oh, is that or is that burgundy? Go, I'd go for a burgundy. I'll be back to purchase the socks in just a minute. <laughs> <gentlemen. laughs> we have Run the ties for over it. here. Run for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're always constantly switching out the designs and all. But I mean, you know, just all kinds of fun in here. You That's really ge cool. Geometric yeah. designs. I was surprised to not see you in a tie today, actually. I know, I know. This, I, I debated should I do it, but on the weekends I tend to not do it. Mm. Um, and also, That's <laughs> your one concession been, to informality. I've also been suffering from razor burn lately, so I've had to have an so open sorry collar. Sorry to hear that. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I, I may survive, I may not. We'll see. It's, yeah. uh, the everyman conversations that people have come to expect. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is, a very, <laughs> this is your most relatable podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Does everybody hate me already? Okay, they will. What would you say is your most um, special tie that you own? Um, there's one I love that's from the original collection, but it's a James Bond tie. A James Bond tie. It, it's you. It's from I think Diamonds Are Forever. I believe it, it's it's got this. It's a black tie with this geometric pattern of different mm. colored lines. And I always think that one's kind of cool. That sounds I, cool. I think it, it, it's in one of the movies. I think it might be Diamonds Are Forever. So right. Yeah. And you only bust that one out for very special occasions. Yeah. Nah, I'll wear them. I'll wear them whenever. Yeah. <laughs> Just depends what the outfit is. If it looks good, then. And so be it. Have you moved all of your outfits to the UK, or do you have some sort of in frozen uh, storage? Yeah, I've got a place in New York and in LA, so they're kind of scattered across the world. Mm. But they're never where I want them to be. Yeah, that's the, ain't that the truth? <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, although I did get a great tuxedo shirt here because I was going to some event in the summertime. It was hot, and the, the shirt is it's so lightweight in the back, it's almost like tissue paper. Wow. And it's a lovely, lovely way to do it. It's like wearing nothing at all in the world's exactly. Ned Flanders. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, maybe I'm gonna go and purchase those socks. Thank uh, you. And, and we can move on to the next location. Yes, here, here.
Love Thy Neighbourhood is sponsored by Freenow, the mobility super app. Thanks to Freenow, I can get to where I need to go in London in a private ride, black cab, e-scooter or e-bike. One app, more ways to travel. Feel free now. Well, you, you must have been a, a big Simpsons fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, uh, I know all those guys that wrote it. And yeah, they, did you ever... You, you must have come across... Uh, was it Sam Simon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sam was great. I wasn't really aware of like how that show was put together and what his role on it was until Vanity Fair, years ago, did a wonderful oral history, which involved people like Rupert Murdoch, weirdly, talking about The Simpsons. Oh, I bloody love The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. um, and <laughs> you everyone, should have made him a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, but everyone who worked on it, Talks about how Sam Simon, who was the was a sort of showrunner for a while, yeah, he was, he developed it and everything with uh, Matt Groening and mm. uh, James Works. That's the one, yeah. It's but it just sounds like people sort of like lived in fear of Sam Simon because his standards were so high. Yeah, but every single person looks back on all of those episodes and they're so clearly the best ones. Yeah, no, the, they're the, fantastic. The, the, their consistency, the the relentlessness of the jokes as well. Yeah, well, you know, they came out of the the, the Tracy Ullman show. Yes. And so at the end of the eighties. Yeah, exactly. And so they said, you know, make thirteen episodes. So they were off, I think, in New York at the time or something. They they were like in a different city, and they were completely unsupervised. Like literally, just like okay, make this cartoon show, which you know is a uh, nice um, validation of yeah. not having. <laughs> If certain people give you notes when you're developing <laughs> stuff. Not that I'm against notes. I, I'm, you know, I think you can go bad the other way when you don't listen to advice or or just notes. I mean, you know, it, it, it's in Hollywood. It's the dreaded they're taking notes. You know, they're giving me notes on this and that. And I say, like, look, don't take the the solution to the note that they're going to pitch because right. you go, well, what about this? And then you're like, no, I don't want that. But I do want to hear, I didn't understand this, I don't get that because that's important because if they don't get it, the audience isn't going to get it. Right? Yeah. People whose jobs it is to sort of like point out holes in logic, yeah, na narratives that you don't realize as a writer make no sense, maybe. Yeah, totally. Because you know when we do our test screenings, well, we're putting a movie together with audiences recruited off the street. They will, they will go, well, we don't get it, you know. So better to head it off at the pass if you right, can. Yeah. Oh, we've arrived at our third here we location. Are. They're all t oh, my gosh, Max is here. Would you yeah, like to say yeah. where we are before we were oh, going? Oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. Here, <laughs> we are at the Davidoff store on the corner of St. James's and uh, German Street. It's one of my favorite stores run by the nicest people in the world. It looks lovely. The sunlight is hitting it, the late summer sun. Yeah. Um, and then inside, all of the, all the produce is gleaming at us. Let's go there on in. There we go. I can't believe Max Falks is here. Max is the most stylish man I know. Oh, I try my best. I don't know about that. You got your <laughs> cowboy boots on. Thank you. Would you like to say uh, what this shop supplies and what you know? What yes, you like this about is a, a cigar smoking shop. Um, they sell pipes, amazing cigars, mostly Cuban, uh, uh, but they beautiful lighters from Dupont, and uh, just it's the art of smoking in here. And also they have great uh, umbrellas and walking sticks and just everything, humidors. And, and booze, too. And they have the booze over yes. there. Beautiful whiskeys, beautiful whiskeys. I think they need to start carrying a, a, a gin, though, uh, called Arding Stalls. Yeah, there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah, what? A, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah, ad. Yeah. It's an ad. I'm plugging. Yeah, yeah. Have you spoken to the bosses about that? Uh, no, i got to talk to Eddie about yeah, it. Yeah, it's important. It's important. I'll sell it for you. Thank you so much. I'll try my best. Thank you. You're on this, Max. I'm holding you to that. <laughs> so we are, we're standing in front of a selection of, of pipes. Yes. Smoking pipes. Here, here. Uh, I remember... My, my grandfather, may he rest in peace, he, he smoked a pipe. That's the only person I can remember in my life smoking a pipe. Right. Are there do a comeback, do you think? I, th I mean, I've tried in my lifetime so many times to smoke a pipe, and I cannot keep them lit. Is there a trick to it? I don't know. But I, I think there's nothing kind of cooler than, like, having a pipe in your, you know, in, in your mouth, if you will. That mm. came out wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I just think they're cool, you know, especially, like, some of those... Well, there was some, you know, it's yeah. cooler than an elf bar, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's cooler than a vape box. Yes. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, people are trying to look cool holding a vape box. Those uh, things are going to be, well, the, 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 the throwaway ones are going to be illegal pretty soon. Good. Yeah. Good. The ones They're that are aimed squarely at children. Yes, I know, really. Bubblegum flavored. Oh, and the rest. You've got sort of, you know, 
watermelon and uh, candy floss and all sorts. Ugh, the yeah. worst. Look, and they have these guitars here too, which are and kind of guitars. these three stri- three string guitars. I don't know how to play yeah, those. Yeah, like but it's like a, c- a cigar box guitar, isn't it? It's yeah, created. it's very very. It almost nice. looks like a slide guitar. The strings are so high off of the fretboard. I can imagine you being a musical magpie as well as a sort of a yeah. literary one. Yeah, well, um, I've been a musician my whole life too. Not a good one, but yeah, <laughs> I, 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 jack of all trades, master of none. I do you say. think you could sort of? Um, I could figure that out. You could get a sound, a decent sound out of it. Yeah. What sort of music? Uh, you know, if uh, you get home, you're knackered, and you have to put something on a record or something. Mm-hmm. Where does your brain go to first, music-wise? <sighs> I, I mix it up all the time. I love traditional jazz. I love country. Um, well, considering you are wearing a very fetching pair of cowboy boots, yes. Would you want to give a country and western recommendation for for listeners? Oh. Someone that maybe that they're not familiar with. Someone from back in the day. Sort of. Artist-wise, um, Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam is my streets of Bakersfield. Yes, yes, exactly. Well done. And he was a big uh, Buck Owens fan, so he covered a lot of Buck Owens songs. Uh, I just love it because he's almost kind of like rock country, but he's got a great voice and his stuff is fun. No, I, I that's that's my. I would recommend that highly. And actually, on uh, Sirius XM, there he has his own channel and they play half his songs and half all these old Bakersfield kind of in- inspired songs and they're yeah. great so go on if you want to get kind of a like a, a quick lesson in, in old country H- have you Paul Feig ever dabbled in heavy metal yeah oh yeah I love all that yeah me too yeah big fan I mean Ramones is one of my that's not heavy metal obviously oh, but you. but still <laughs> but, but that kind of guitar that, yeah, that yeah it's loud rocking guitar yeah is I just I mean that's what the first time I heard the the Ramones, I thought my life had changed because right. I was like, I don't know, eleven or twelve, and just like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. What is it about a power chord that's so, you know, for, especially for like an adolescent? It's a release. It, it's like it's it it like literally the whatever <laughs> pent up frustration, which is from puberty is or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's in there. It just gets gets blown out of you. So uh, it's it's kind of great. It's great. Um, it's funny that you could have a you could have a, an assembled you know a choir on a stage. All doing a sort of, you know, uh, you know, a C major. Yeah. At the same time, arguably still less impact than one person with a large amplifier playing. There you go. An e or exactly. Something. The other version of that is an audience will always. You can have the most elaborate choreography for a dance troupe, but the minute everybody does a kick line, the audience applause. So, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> the the guess, easiest moves are the because people love things in sync. They love things in sync. Weirdly, with this podcast, I've realized, in terms of all the guests we've had, I think more people have smoked than drank, which, which oh, was really surprising to me. That's interesting, because I'm back. much more of a drinker than a smoker. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you've made that part of your sort of your, your output. Is, uh, exactly. Is, is drink, you know, and not only because of your uh, gym brand, but also during lockdown, yes, you um, provided a service. Yes, my cocktail show. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to explain how that went down? I was a big fan. Oh, thank, thank mm. you. No, it was you know right at the beginning of the pandemic. I was you know stuck in L.A. at my house and was like, okay, I want to try to do something to help people out, and uh, thought, well, maybe I, I mean I'm not a medical professional. I can't do anything like that. So, thought maybe I'll just. Uh, entertain people once a day like do something every day for 100 days in a row at five o'clock even on the weekends, so that people just had something to not look forward to i'm not so, so presumptuous that uh, i think like people I think look that's, forward. That's a, you're being a bit hard on yourself there i think in lockdown we were so deprived of any fun that people were definitely looking well, that's forward a to feel, it yeah nobody knew what to do and so like, well, we'll have fun and also like i just wanted to like you know show look get dressed and and you know get and, dressed yeah exactly don't spend all day in your pajamas and all that yeah it was a, a, a reason to um, actually get out of bed was to make a cocktail because yeah. you can't be in bed and make a cocktail. <laughs> That's just sad. Yeah. Then you're just drinking in bed. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a look in the cigar room, maybe. I, oh, um, this is the, the, the big humidor. Something's going on in there. It's a very religious thing, going and picking your cigar. Yes, it is. It I've is. never smoked a cigar. Really? Yes. Uh, am I missing out? Um, I, It depends. I mean, I'm not here to push anybody towards it. I, I don't smoke them that often. I get kind of once a month kind of guy. But um, I say it's like having a really strong cup of coffee. Here it you looks go. like ammunition. Oh. <laughs> it does, really. Yeah. In a way, it sort of is. Um, it smells nice. The temperature's bracing. Yeah, it has to you know, have uh, humidity in the air mm. uh, to keep the cigars the way they were intended to be, especially the Cubans, you know, which they may, all cigar tobacco comes out of a humid climate. Right. And so they, if they dry out, then they burn too hot and too fast. And uh, so you want to keep them in a temperature-controlled, humidity-controlled humidor. Where's your eye going, Paul? I have a love of these Trinidads, which are out of Havana, which... Um, 
are very kind of mild. I can sometimes enjoy a very strong cigar, but most of the time it kind of kicks my ass. Right. You know, and uh, so I like just something kind of smooth. But it's not, it's not like, um, obviously you said you have a, maybe like a cigar a month. Uh, yeah. Nice way to relax and stuff, but mm -hmm. obviously can't be that addictive. Otherwise, you'd be sort of having a cigar a week and then a cigar a day. Well, I have friends who literally are cigar incinerators. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a meal, they'll go through three. Yeah. And I've occasionally tried to match them, and just then you know, it's, it's weeks of you get <laughs> recovering. Lightheaded. I yes. Imagine. Yeah. Th that's exactly it. But my favorite cigar in the world is right around here. It's it's a Romeo and Julietta Churchill. Yeah, they're, it's a popular cigar. The Churchills are the longer one, so it's a long, it's like an hour long smoke, which is kind of fun sometimes. Mm. So there you go. But Named after the dog in the insurance advert. Yeah, I presume. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Was there another Churchill? I didn't. I'm not aware of that. All right. Well. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, this has been really great. Let's move on. We're moving uh, on. Yeah, to our fourth location. Yes. Here we go. Oh, cheers. Here we are. We're at Fortnum and Mason, the grandparent of all food places, yeah, food I mean, halls. I think it was a greengrocer's originally. Really? I think it was a a big greengrocer's, a posh one. There you go. Uh, and it's since mutated into a into a wonderful department store. There you go. Yeah. Oh look, it's Christmas already. That's weirded me out. We've just come onto the uh, landing of the second floor, been greeted by. A large uh, Christmas tree covered in lights. Yep. So, uh, as they say in the song, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, even yes. though it's still September. Yeah. Paul's heart being filled with gladness as he imagines the royalties coming in from yes. last Christmas being shown on multiple channels. Here, here. The pounds will just be rolling in. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the pence will. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah, and here we are. So, yeah. We've now walked up to the third floor of Fortnum and Mason's. Yeah. And we're in the nice uh, little bar area. We've recovered. We got our breath back from going up three flights of stairs. Yeah, no, I get exhausting. I get the producer to sort of um, edit out all the instances where I sound out of breath <laughs> okay. in the podcast. So I always come across as very fit. Oh, good, but but all mine will stay in. Oh, I get those amplified. Okay, good. So I'll be yeah. the out of shape guy. As <laughs> as as a uh, uh, an anglophile, as someone who's you know made London their home, yes. for which we're very very honoured and grateful. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm honoured to be here. Mm. Uh, but have you also embraced uh, pub culture? Um, I love a good pub. I don't go to pubs as much as I go to bars, because if I go to a pub, I will drink um, Guinness, and I should not be drinking that, because I will make me fat. Right. <laughs> so, so, uh, so that's why I try to avoid pubs, but I do love going to them. Mm. But that's the only reason. I have no self-control whatsoever. Well, I can't imagine uh, someone loving the UK and sort of not loving pubs is they sort of occupy yeah. a very special place in sort of a sort of national psyche. Yeah. Um, and I have to say I'm I'm less of a bar guy. Oh. You know, the the mental image of a bar to me often seems quite sort of like noisy and oh. may, may, maybe sort of a bit sort of stiff. I don't know. Could you oh. recommend any that would rectify this problem I have? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, the irony is I actually think the opposite. To me, the pub is the noisy, crowded place, and the bar is where you sit and have this lovely, kind of relaxed drink in, in, in time. But, I mean, up here, this bar, which is new uh, to Fort Nova Mason, this is a beautiful bar that they have up here on the third floor. But my favorite one in, in town is Duke's. Duke's? At the du at Duke's Hotel, right off of St. James's. We're, we're going to try to do the, our interview there, but it, we're too early. They don't they don't open till later. And um, one of my best friends is uh, uh, Alessandro Palazzi, who's the bartender there. But I, I didn't force him to come in because they, he works so late and, and they're always really slammed at that place. I mean, it's very famous. Yeah. But if you had to sell it to me, mm -hmm. what's the appeal? You're, you're a big Duke's guy. You've been going there for how long? 25 years. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, I always say it's my favorite bar, and I think people, when I take them there for the first time, they imagine it's going to be some you know big opulent bar with a long you know long counter and, and you know beautiful wood and velvet and all that stuff. And it's not; it's like grandma's living room. You know? Really? Yeah, yeah, totally. It looks like a li it's like two little sitting rooms, and so there's not it doesn't hold that many people. I think when it's at capacity in the two rooms, it's probably I mean thirty or forty people at the most, and they come around with a cart and they make the drinks 
table side and you're, you're in they're famous for the martini because that's where apparently Ian Fleming discovered the martini and uh, they make it a very different way there because the keto good martini is it has to be really really cold and so the the method they came up with is they freeze the glasses they freeze the gin or vodka if you must you'd always go gin yes yes a, a, a vodka martini is not a real martini did I say that am I controversial yes I did what won't he say yeah, exactly I'm not, everybody hates me already so I figured why not and I'll just go the whole way and then they so they uh, Alessandro will put some vermouth in the frozen glass swirl it around to just get it on the edges and then he tosses it out on the carpet if you will and um, <laughs> I can't, see it's the British terminology I can't he, he, he throws it out on the carpet yeah. <laughs> there you go that probably means something dirty in British too. <laughs> I don't know uh, and then um, then puts in the frozen gin and then has these big uh, lemons from the Amalfi coast and he cuts a, a huge twist expresses it over the top to get the oil on it hits the edges and then there you go mm. but it's a very strong martini because it doesn't touch ice it's not diluted at all so he limits you to two because if you have more than that you'll fall over you'll fall over yeah that's good it's also sort of in, you know creating your own sort of scarcity yeah which makes the whole thing feel very sort of special and exclusive which is good yeah if i went to duke's or the connaught bar is a yeah connaught bar that's, that's a great one that's always voted is one of the top bars there's two bars in the connaught there's one on the front when you kind of that's on the street uh looks out of the street but then the one under the stairs in the back that's the famous one mm. where they make the martinis table side too and it's just a gorgeous gorgeous place and if i went along to duke's or or, or the connaught bar with uh my partner who already thinks i'm a sort of cretinous oik <laughs> but i wanted to order something to show her um that i'm actually quite a uh, an interesting person yeah whose tastes may be uh quite elevated there you go where am i going what am i ordering yeah uh, martini uh, still the same martini well they do it different they they actually stir it with ice but they have these um different kind of fragrances for lack of a better term bitters and that kind of thing that they will spray onto the when, when they pour it they pour it from on high so they mix it up get it really cold and then they do this pour where they kind of extend their arm over their head so it's like literally like three feet down to the to the glass it's pageantry yes i, I don't it's not my way to do it because i just think it, that just makes it less cold by doing that but they when they do it they they, they spray it with the either that fragrance or they'll they'll do the uh, lemon twist onto the stream and that's very elegant yeah it, it's 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 very showy and, uh, and he doesn't toss anything off onto the carpet, though. <laughs> no, this no, nobody's tossing off. <laughs> well, we're coming to the end of the show now, but before we do, shall we just go to the bar and get a small drink? Oh, I think we let's get a few small drinks. <laughs> what did he say? That is only noon. Hey, oh, <laughs> so I'm going to order us. Can I order a couple of martinis? Yes. Excellent. Can I do uh, two botanist martinis up with a twist? Very dry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. It was great having you order for me. It was like having sort of um, uh, sort of John Williams select a CD to, to, to put <laughs> on or something like that. I'm very particular about my, my martinis and how they're prepared. As you said it, I sensed there's a small amount of fear in his eye. As you very specific about exactly how you exactly. wanted it made. That's right, really. Yeah. They have to be very cold. They should be stirred. I don't mind a shaken martini as long as it's not shaken mm. the hell out of it. What's the difference? What, the proper way to, to use a shaker, for, especially for a martini, is you roll it. Mm. So you're basically like, let's say, you know, I'm holding it like this microphone. Mm. And you roll it so that the, the liquid and the ice hits the four corners. But you're just rolling it from the, for the four corners. So you're just doing this. Yeah. And what happens is a lot of um, bartenders, and they, I get it because they've got a million people on their way, just... Like, like shake the shit out of it and then you get this cloudy mm. white martini with all this like flotilla of ice on top of it and then it's just like mm. you're obviously a very nice person uh, but I can imagine you sending a drink back yeah, I, I will, but I, in a very nice way. It's just kind of like, oh, can you, can you just make this a little colder? You know, I mean, if it's shaken to shit, I'm just like, okay, I'll drink it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the guy who's going to like, hey, how dare you, sir? No. But that's why I try to head it off at the pass. Oh, the drinks are coming over now. Look at that. Oh, beautiful, too. Cheers. Cheers. There you go. Mm. Ah. Yeah, Lovely. that's nice. Isn't that nice? It's great. Thank you. Mm. Thanks, man. Well... At this point, I think it would be nice to broaden our scope to not just focus on the neighborhood of Mayfair, yes. but to look at London as a whole mm -hmm. and hear where you think would get uh, five stars. Okay. Yeah. We'll start with, what is your five-star pizza? Oh, gosh. 
in London. There's a place, I think it's it's in um, Chelsea Green. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Cinquecento, I think. And it's a really good, like, fired pizza kind of thing. Yes. That's great. And if we are in America, the home of Tsar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, Italians, but it is true. It is true. Uh, what would be your American choice? Um, I'm going to go really old school and say Ray's Pizza in New York. And, and there's a million Ray's Pizzas, so it's kind of a joke now of, like, what's the best? But just that, there's that, you get a slice, as they call it, you know. And it's just a thin, super thin crust, big slice of pizza. You just kind of sitting out, so they put it back in the oven and heat it up again. And just cheese with pepperoni and, uh, and a lot of hot chili flakes on it. Sounds delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a five-star tube station? <laughs> well, I, I live by the South Can one. So how do you find that? It's not bad. It's not bad. I, I think I, I, I really like <laughs> like like is a strong word for a tube station. Uh, Green Park. I find I like I like tube stations where you only go down one set of escalators. Yes, Green Park as well has a very dramatic exit straight into the park. Yes, yeah. It feels like you're being launched into nature. Yeah. as you leave, it's so, nice. So that's a that's a that's a good one. That's a barn burner. Uh, as someone who is technically still and will always be a tourist. Uh, do you have a five-star tourist attraction? Huh. I have a real affinity for Trafalgar Square just because when I was a kid and came here the first time with my parents, I was like 13, and <laughs> it was in the 70s, and we have home movies of back then. It's all you know, British businessmen in like dark suits and all this stuff, and then my father is wearing this, this bright yellow leisure suit with this hat with these orange polka dots on it. And That's it, where you get it from. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And I was just like, you know what? That's, I, I, that will always, I, that image is always in my head every time I go to Trafalgar oh. Square. Yeah, Trafalgar Square. I don't think we've ever had a shout for that one before, but it's, it, it, it's such a, it is a sort of draw, isn't it? Yeah. Like a sort of magnet that brings people in. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. you go straight up to the palace, and there you are. But don't ever go there on New Year's Eve. That's the worst possible oh, idea. Jesus. No, no yeah. thanks. Even Paul knows that. <laughs> Who is your five-star Londoner? Oh, Alessandro Palazzi. Although he's Italian. <laughs> well, there, but you know what? That's the thing about this city. You can be an Italian and live in London, yeah. and then you are a Londoner. Yeah, no, he is. To me, he is. he's my favorite person in London. He is the bartender, or the owner at Dukes, or the, or the bartender? No, just the, the head barman and, and the manager of the place. He I mean, runs the whole place. What is it about him that you think sums up the city, or what is it about him that you sort of like so much? He's elegant, but he's fun. Yes. And that's what I'd say about London. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yourself, I would say. Well, bless you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, anyway, it seems that way. Anyway, I don't know if the microphones are turned off suddenly. Uh, <laughs> everything changes. That's uh, <laughs> right, really. <laughs> uh, you, you said you're not a pint man, but if you had to have a Guinness somewhere, where would your five-star pint be? Mm, well, that's a good question. Um, oh, there's, oh the, the toucan. Yeah, okay. Which is, you know, that's a pretty easy answer. But mm. I did, we, when we last were at, Christmas had a lot of pubs in it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, we had, because Emma Thompson's script like, had things like the dodgiest pub in London. So we had to go, so we scouted all these really, and there are some pretty dodgy pubs. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the dodgiest ones are the ones that are just like white walls. Flat roof pubs, yeah. Ones yeah. that used to be part of estates. There's a lot of them that look very, very uh, foreboding. Yeah. And then you go in, and they're always fantastic places, actually. Yeah, yeah. Not always. Yeah. There, there are some you'll go in, and someone will uh, hit you. There you go. But, and do you have a five-star city that isn't London? Look, I love L.A. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I've lived there for 40 years, you know? It's... You know what's rare? is someone that loves L.A. and London. Well, and here's the thing. I spent most of those 40 years not liking L.A., and it was only going away for four years you go like, oh, I kind of miss it, you know. But I, so it, this is the perfect balance of London and L.A. Very different places. Completely very, different. Yeah. I mean, there you have to drive everywhere. But I kind of, you know, all the years I lived there, it's like, if I never drive a car again, I'll, I'll be the happiest person in the world. After four years not having a car, I'm like, I miss having a car. Yeah, driving. Yeah, I do. Fun. I really kind of miss being in control that way. Apart from the car, um, why do you think it took going away to sort of enjoy L.A.? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's just being away from somewhere. You get out of the daily routine of like, oh, I see all this stuff, and you know, and I'm sick of this, and I'm sick of that, and sick, all that, and realize, oh, God, I miss my favorite places, and I miss my friends, and I miss my house, and, you know, that what, kind of what, thing. What is um, so great about it? I've been there once and stuff, and I remember a lot of um, beautiful scenery, but 
everything felt very kind of disparate and um oh it's totally yeah it's so a mess. What, <laughs> what what was the what what is the the appeal i think it's just that it is just such a hodgepodge of stuff i mean it's everything you can go to the high end town of, of beverly hills but most places are strip malls and you know a lot of the architecture is ugly because it's new you know and thrown up and i mean you know, there's uh, these apartment buildings everywhere that they like, like they build in a week you know with stucco plastered on the side it's all that stuff but then you've got classic downtown la which is cool you've got an amazing kind of food scene there uh, the weather's obviously gorgeous. So I hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's always nice. But, Appar but apparently that's nice. But w which weirdly, and, and you know, people in London will hate me for saying this, does get boring. Like if it's just nice every single day, because you just have no concept of what part of the year it is. Yeah. You don't really have seasons. I mean, the leaves kind of turn. But well, you have don't. seasons, but only the good ones. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, but like Christmas rolls around, you're like, oh, is it Christmas? Like, you don't. Yeah. So there is, you know, as much as you get tired of the shitty weather sometimes, and it's actually, I think London weather has gotten better. I think global warming, I think, sadly, is the cause for that. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, that but old, that old bastard. Exactly. But, but you got, you, you appreciate the nice days when you don't, when they're not all nice days. It, it's hard to get jaded. That's true. It's, there's, there, there needs to be a yin uh, to love the yang. Uh, what is your five star venue in London? Oh, gosh. Um, music or it can be a cinema yeah i was gonna say that's a tough one um because there's so many really great venues here um i like albert hall yes royal albert hall keeping it sort of fairly local it's not too far from here yeah i just it's such a beautiful place and i've been to so many i've been to a sports event there i've been to a pr movie premiere there i've been to concerts there they can turn it into anything a sport event in the royal albert hall yeah because they, they can make it into a round into wow. the round it was tennis i think or something like that i had no idea yeah they're doing something like that and i think they did boxing there at one point yeah. and um have you ever like had a circus a... kind of thing it's such a beautiful place you know well, Paul, thank you so much for showing me around oh uh, Mayfair. Please. Yeah, it's not a part of London that I tend to venture into. No, I know. This, this will probably make me a hated person on the, the, the because I, I dragged you into Mayfair. Well, no, well, no you, it will make you hated in Mayfair because they've seen you bring me into the fold. Oh, they, this, you know, no, certainly not. Uh, and they're like, uh, he, <laughs> who is this person that's there sort of, go. yeah. I just like, I, I like, you know, Pretty stuff. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, I would say everything about Mayfair. I can see why it would click with you yeah. and why it would chime. It is fun. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, you can't live in it all the time. I mean, but it's yeah, it's it's nice to visit. Is that a challenge? You can't live in it all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, Some people can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, thank you very much. Cheers. Well, that was Paul Feig's Mayfair. Not an area I've been to a, a huge amount, but an incredibly lovely man. He was really, really interesting, really kind. He's done so many amazing things in his career, uh, but he was such a pleasure to talk to. I had a great time, and I hope you did as well. If you want to see more of Paul, look him up on Instagram. Uh, he's very active on there, or at least he was during lockdown. I'm pretty sure he still is. Uh, if you want to hear more of us, subscribe to Love Thy Neighborhood. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. Usually, I would say, we're out every Tuesday, but this was the final episode of this series. It's been such a pleasure. As someone that grew up in London, as someone that sort of, you know, works for Time Out, which serves London, this just felt like an amazing opportunity to go out into the street. Hairdressers, tailors, car parks, shops, restaurants, all sorts of places. It's been an absolute blast. Hope to be back in your ears with a second series pretty soon. So thank you for tuning in and I sincerely hope to see you again. Love yourself and love thy neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood is sponsored by Freenow, the mobility super app. I'm not ashamed to say that I've reached the stage in my life where I'd really prefer things to be done for me. Why would I bother toasting my own bread when the guys at Norman's Cafe can do it better? And what's the point of selecting my own films to watch of an evening when the kind folk at the Prince Charles will do the choosing for me? Outsource this stuff, people! Thanks to Freenow, I can book a comfy back seat in a private ride or black cab and let a top-rated local driver take me from A to B. No stress, just sweet, sweet convenience. Feel free now.